Today we will be talking about grace. We're going to Ephesians chapter 2. I titled the message, What We Were and What We Are. What we were, past tense. What we were before Christ. But what we are today. What we are in Him. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Well, let's go ahead and pray to begin with, because I know that I'm going to be stopping in the middle of this. And <laughs> so... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise You and magnify You because You are worthy of all praise and adoration. Father God, we do thank You for Your grace. We know that it is by Your grace that we are saved. Father, we just thank You that You have freely given that to all. And Father God, that we just have to receive it and believe and trust in Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we just thank You for that knowledge. We thank You for Your Word that You've given us. And Father, I just pray as we open Your Word today that Your Spirit we just speak to our hearts. Help us to receive what you have for us. Father, may you receive all the glory and the honor for everything that is done. Father, whether it is spoken here, the things that we go and do. Father, may it be for your glory that it would lift up your holy name. Father, may we just be willing vessels to tell others about your kingdom and about your son and about your great love, your amazing love. Father, just pray that you would be with us and just again bless us with your glorious presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. And you he made. So he made alive. You he made alive. Who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the curse of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, this is Paul speaking this to the Ephesian church, but believe me, the devil is still at work today and still is now working in the sons of disobedience today as we speak. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's, that is again worth repeating. By grace you have been saved. There is no other way by which men can be saved, but by the grace of God. Period. End of conversation. We can do all kinds of good things, but when it comes to salvation, no other way, but by grace you were saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, if I had to pick out, I don't think I could possibly pick out one verse in the Bible and say this is my favorite verse, but I could probably pick out a handful. I love 1 John 5.13, by these, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life, and the couple of verses that follow, and of course John 3.16, but I, I assure you, this would be in my top five. 
Because there was a time when I felt that you had to do these works to be saved. That you had to be good. You had to do all the right things. Dot all the I's and cross all the T's. But whenever I found this, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. I was like, wow. When it finally soaked in, soaked into this hard head of mine. I'm reaching down here, but I was like, this hard head of mine, I'm like, praise you, Lord. It is a gift. Whenever you get a present on your birthday or Christmas time, did you earn it? It is a gift from that loved one. So God's gift to man is His grace. It is His Son, Jesus Christ. There will be no boasting when we stand before God. Oh, God, remember all the great things I did for you? No, we won't. We'll humbly say, Lord, thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank You for that wonderful gift. There will be no boasting. For we are His... Now, <laughs> this is so interesting that I, we read this and what Paul follows it up with. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So I just said it is by grace that we are saved through faith, not of works because no one will boast, but we are created for good works. We are saved by the grace, but because we are saved, we will do good works. We are created for good works. That's why He created us. God did not create us for evil, for lust, and for all those things. He created you and I for good works. And we should be so thankful and grateful for His gift of salvation that we do good works. Amen? So we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hand, flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one, and broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. Praise be to God. Praise Him for His holy word. Amen? So Paul here at the beginnings of this passage seems to put an emphasis, an emphasis on the you. He is making it personal, friends, because it is personal. Don't say they or we. It is you. You. He is, of course, speaking to the church of Ephesus, speaking to that church. But I believe that Paul's word, I know that Paul's word is for all mankind. It is for you personally. You were once dead. I 
was once dead in my trespasses and sins. And I know that I can say, we can all say that. I was once dead in my trespasses and sins because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So what is trespasses? Trespasses is stepping out of the bounds of God's moral law. So when we look at all of the law, if you think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good man and I'm going to obey every bit of the law. If there's hundreds of laws, say that's just you pick a number. There's 300 laws that we absolutely have to obey. If you obey 299 and break that one, guess what? You have no hope. You're lost. You're dead in your trespasses and sins if you break that one. So friends, we have no hope with the law. What is sin? Many define sin as missing the mark. Missing the mark. Have we not all missed the mark at some time or other in our lives? It can be a failure to do what is right. That too is sin. So that attitude is, well, I'm really not that bad of a person. I'm pretty good. I'm better than my neighbor down there. I mean, yeah, he's a pretty wicked guy. That just blows that out of the water, doesn't it? Because I too have missed the mark. You know, the Apostle Paul does not sugarcoat the message of the Gospel. When he speaks of their former condition, they and we were dead. Walking dead, you might as well say. Walking dead. Spiritually dead. And you know, I think Paul is very blunt and to the point and strong in his words because whenever a man comes to the realization, a man or a woman comes to the realization of their lostness, I don't know if that's a real word, their lostness apart from Christ, it might be then that they realize their need for forgiveness. How greatly we need forgiveness. But the problem, my friends, is so many people don't realize they need forgiveness. They think they're okay. They think, I'm a pretty good person. I'll probably go to heaven. They don't realize how lost they are. I found an illustration, a, a, a neat little illustration that exemplifies this. A father told this story how his family, every Christmas, every Christmas season, would travel and visit family. He says, each year we brought our family to spend time with Grandpa and Grandma and visit the museums. This was in Chicago. And he said, this year we decided to finish our Christmas shopping at the suburban Woodfield Mall. In the midst of all the fun and excitement, one of us noticed that little three-and-a-half-year-old Matthew was gone. He said, terror immediately struck our hearts. We had heard the horror stories. Little children kidnapped in the malls rushed into the restrooms doned in different clothing and altered hairstyles, and then swiftly smuggled out, never to be seen again. He said, so we split up, each taking an assigned location. He said, mine was the parking lot. He said, I'll never forget that night, kicking through the fallen snow, calling out his name to the top of my lungs. He says, I felt like an abject fool. He said, yet my concern for the safety of my son outweighed any other feelings. Unsuccessful, he says, I trudged back into our meeting point. He said, my wife Marty had not found him, nor had my mother. He says, and then my dad appeared, holding little Matthew by the hand. He said, our hearts leapt for joy. 
Interestingly enough, little Matthew was untraumatized. He hadn't been crying. To him, there had been no problem. I asked my father, where did you find him? The candy counter, he, he, he replied. He said, you should have seen him. His eyes came just about as high as the candy. His little hands behind his back, moving his head back and forth, surveying all the luscious candy. Matthew didn't look lost. He didn't know that he was lost. He was oblivious to the phenomenal danger that he was in. My friends, we are living in a candy counter culture today where people don't know that they're lost. They don't look lost. They are just gazing at the candy counter of the world, lusting after all of the sweetness that it has to offer, clueless to the fact that they are spiritually lost, gazing at the candy. And there's a lot of sweet things out there that are sinful, unaware, unaware that they are lost. How do we get them to awaken to the truth that they need Jesus Christ? That there is no hope without God. No hope apart from His grace. How do we get them? How do we get them to understand? 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 19 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. The world thinks that we are fools. But how can we get them to listen? How can we get them to listen to this? You know, I've asked people before, are you saved? Oh yeah, I'm saved. Yeah. I'm saved. Good person. Yeah. Going to heaven? I think, yeah. Pretty sure. I think so. You know, I don't know. Maybe we should instead say, are you lost? They probably look at us kind of funny. Lost? No, I know where I am. No, I mean, are you lost spiritually? Well, you know what? Some people might become offended when we ask them that. But could it be that it might make them stop and think, well, well, you know, maybe I am. Because it was the understanding of my lostness that helped me find this passage in Ephesians chapter 2. That I was spiritually lost. And maybe that's maybe something we could ask people. Are you lost? Do you know your way? Do you know your way to God? Do you know how you can be saved through Jesus Christ? You know, I think I challenged the church a few years back to pick someone. Pick someone that you know, whether it be a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, whatever. Pick someone that you know that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and earnestly pray for that person Pray for their soul. Pray that they will come to the realization that they are lost. Because James chapter 5, 16, the last half says, The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. My friends, there is nothing more important than to pray for those that are lost. To pray that they would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing more important. That's more important than praying for the, their health is their eternal 
destiny, their eternal salvation. Pick someone. Pick a handful of people. I don't care. But earnestly pray. Dedicate to praying for them daily and see the power of God. Watch the power of God. Pray for an opportunity to maybe be that one to witness to them or put, God put somebody in their path to witness to them that they might find Jesus Christ. My next point is the oneness of the believers that Paul's speaking of. Verses 14 and 15 said, For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that, so that as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Romans 3, 19 and 20 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justi justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Jesus Christ Himself has broken down that wall of hostility. That wall, that great hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jesus has broken that down. You know, there are so many walls that people build between themselves and those that are different than them. Is there not? There are so many walls. Sometimes they are actual physical walls that we build. But other times, it is that invisible wall that we build in our minds and our hearts around ourselves against those that are different than us. The wall that separated the Jews and the Gentiles was both physical and in their minds and in their hearts. Because in their minds and in their hearts, they thought they are. They were God's chosen people, but not that they would separate and not share God's love with others, which is what they did, but they shouldn't have. But they thought they were better than everybody else. They thought they were heathens. There was also a five-foot wall, a barrier put between to keep the Gentile, in the Gentile court to keep them from going any further. And on, that, on that wall, eh, where is it at? It appeared this inscription to the Gentiles, warning them to go no deeper into the temple precinct, because if they did their death would be on their own hands. So they were not to go any farther than that wall, that physical wall that was erected. They also, they had such contempt for the Gentiles that if a Jewish person offered aid to a Gentile woman that was giving birth, desperately needing help, they would be unclean. They could not go and help that person in great need. If a Jewish man married a Gentile woman, they would actually have a funeral service because they considered them dead or vice versa, man or woman. So if a Gentile married a Jew, they would have, the Jews would have a funeral service for that person just considered them dead because they married a heathen as far as the Jews were concerned. My friends, it's a miracle. One of the greatest miracles of the New Testament was the inclusion of the Gentiles into Christianity. That it is for all mankind, right? We know that whenever Jesus Christ died, the one song spoke of it. The veil 
was torn in two, right? The veil was... Whenever Jesus breathed His last upon the cross, immediately that veil of the temple, I think they say it was like three inches thick. I'm not sure how tall it was. I think 30 feet possibly. Torn in two from top to bottom. That signified God opening it up, God being able to be reconciled to man, but it's also that all men, all men could come unto Him. Not just the Jews, but the Jews and the Gentiles. My friends, honestly, what does the Scripture, what did we just read? He made one man of the two. So there is not Jew nor Gentile. There are sons and daughters of the living God. There are Christians. They'll say, are you a Gentile? No. I am not a Gentile. I am a child of God. I am a Christian. Are you a Jew? Say, no. I am not a Jew. I am a child of God. I am a Christian. Because God has brought the two together and made one. You know, we must love walls of separation because there are so many around the world in our hearts and physical ones. In Korea, the Korean Peninsula is an example of a place that has divided a great nation. A barrier put up. This divided border is called the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone. And this thing was created in 1953. So I'm going to do the math. 66 years ago, Korea was separated into two countries by the United States and the Soviet Union at the end of World War II. My friends, it's so sad that 67 years later, that division still continues today. There are families that were separated. There are friends that were separated, torn apart, lives broken by the wall that was erected in that nation. So much despair and hatred and sadness, anger, division, hopelessness. They say that there's metal fences that divide and people will leave letters and notes and flowers and trinkets in the fence left by family members and strangers to express the pain and the longing to be united, to come back together, to want one, they want one Korea instead of two. The people want to be united, but the leaders do not allow it. Walls need to come down. The walls that we build around ourselves need to come down. The relationships can be repaired. My third point, we are, I spoke of, we were separated, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we are made alive. We are made alive in Jesus Christ. But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, by which He loved you, which He loved you, Karen, which He loved you, Scott, which He loved you, Judith, you, John. He loved you. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, He made us, He made you alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Joel Gregory, a pastor, preached at the Southern Baptist Convention in 1988. And he built his sermon around a gripping illustration. He told how there was a castle on the English coast owned by a landlord 
but no one was currently living in the castle. Vandals were coming in and destroying the place. So he hired a contractor to build a nice rock wall around the castle to prevent intrusion. The fee was agreed upon and the contractor began his work. But after a short time, the contractor began having trouble finding rocks for the walls. So he called the owner and complained about the situation. And the owner, owner sharply replied, I don't care where you get the rocks. I want you to build that wall. So sometime later, the owner came to see how the progress was coming, and he found a beautiful high wall. He was so impressed with fine work the contractor had done, it was a perfect wall for his castle. But then he went through the wall and was stunned to find there was no castle. <laughs> the contractor explained, there was all those beautiful stones in that run-down old castle, so I used them. That is the folly of anyone who is so prejudiced that they do not open themselves up to the grace of God that can come through another human being, even those that are different than us, right? We think we are protecting ourselves when we build those walls keep by protecting that cherished thing, but that wall that we build is hopelessness. Paul says the secret is that both are brought to God. One body through Jesus Christ. You see, the closer we get to God, if we expect to get closer and closer to God, we can't have a wall around ourselves. We cannot have a wall of prejudice around ourselves and get closer to God because Everyone seeking to come close to God is different than we are. So how are we going to get close to Him with a wall of prejudice built around ourselves? We cannot do it. That thing which we think is protecting ourselves tears us apart, destroys us. My friends, He is our peace. We were dead in our trespasses. Romans 3 says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jew and Greek that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Then I probably would add this passage to my top five. It's Romans 5, 8 through 10. And now we have been made alive through Christ because of God's great love, which He demonstrated and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. My friends, to me, again, you are, I just said it, some of my favorite passages in the Scripture. I love the book of Romans. I love Ephesians. Well, I love it all. But these explain His grace in such a wonderful way. To me, I think it is so amazing that while we were still sinners, God sent His Son. While we were sinners. My friends, we cannot clean up our act and make ourselves good enough to be saved. We're talking about salvation here. We cannot, on our own, make ourselves good enough to be saved. 
I said in the very beginning, it is only through Jesus Christ, through God's amazing grace, the gift of His Son. It is by grace that all of us are saved and can be saved. That is the good news. We were dead, but now we are alive in Jesus Christ. Amen?